right. I'll have you go to a couple of places tonight. We'll eventually be in Genesis chapter 41, but before you go there, you'll want to keep a finger in Genesis 41. If you would join me in the book of Psalms, Psalm 105, as we begin and as we start. Psalm 105, begin reading in verse number 16 in the Word of God, the psalmist recording. Moreover, he, that is God, called for a famine upon the land. He brake the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron, until the time that his word came. The word of the Lord tried him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his substance to bind his princes at his pleasure, to teach his senators wisdom. Israel came into Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. Lord, I pray that you'll bless our time in your word tonight as we consider how impactful it is and what we can do as your people to make sure that we have really, as others have said, the whole word, whole word to the whole world. Lord, the world is in dire need of your precious word, and we have it to be able to give it to them. Help us to learn from Joseph tonight as we spend some time briefly looking at his journeys and how you blessed his efforts and saved much people alive because of his faith in you. As we share the word of God, may others find eternal life in Jesus Christ as we lead them through the word of God to find rest for their souls. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the life of Joseph. We've been studying his account. And in chapter number 40, we left off with Joseph in the dungeon. He was in prison. He was being kept in ward. And he was a prisoner there. Now, because of God's hand being on Joseph, one thing that uh, was mentioned after the service last time uh, that I didn't get a chance to talk about during the message before was the fact that everything that had occurred in that prison house was because the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, we've talked about that in previous uh, times because as Joseph came into Potiphar's house, it was recognized that the Lord was with Joseph. So anything that happened was because the Lord was with Joseph. So let's look at chapter number 41. And it is a, a lengthy chapter, a, a rather lengthy, of about 57 verses. So we won't read all of them, but just to get the flow of where Joseph is at, let's look at verse number one. And it came to pass at the end of two full years. Two full years from what? Two full years from when the butler, yes, I had to say it, from when the butler forgot Joseph. Two years previous is when the butler and the baker for Pharaoh was cast into the prison with Joseph, and he interpreted their dreams. It's been two years. And Joseph probably feels forgotten. In fact, that's how chapter 40 closes. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. 
So for two full years, in God's timing, Pharaoh has a dream. And behold, says Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. Now I take that to mean the Nile River. And it wasn't until the 1800s we even knew where the Nile's source was. And it wasn't until some British explorers made their way through the heart of Africa and found Lake Victoria and then traced that up to the river, I can't even remember the name of it, that is the headwaters for the Nile. And so for all of human history, just about up until recent, uh, recent centuries, we didn't know where the Nile started at all. It ends in that delta that spills out into the Mediterranean Sea. You know, it's a river that flows north, uh, kind of different than most rivers. I think, uh, which way does the Mississippi flow? Does it flow south? And so the Nile actually flows north, and it flows into the Mediterranean, empties into that delta. And so up in this Egypt area of Africa, you're going to have uh, key cities like Memphis. And so some of the kings, the pharaohs, in fact, I think it was Jameson Fawcett and Brown in their commentary, uh, mentioned that, uh, the Pharaoh that is mentioned here is the king of Memphis, and so he's over that area. But you've got Goshen. If you look at the Bible map, you've got all the well-watered plains there um, at the Delta region where uh, when Israel comes to Egypt, they'll be able to find good pasturage and uh, take care of their flocks and things. That's not until later. But it's saying here that Pharaoh's dream has him standing by the river, so he's standing by the Nile. I don't think we can stress the importance of that enough because in this day and time, everything rose and fell on the Nile. And whether you had food or not was dependent on whether the Nile had water or not. And there are times that they've, uh, they've been able to document that it would be down to just inches, and then other times it's flooding its, its banks. And so um, there's, there's actually some evidence that would pinpoint some of the famines that would occur, like the one we're studying here, and there's records that they've unearthed elsewhere of, of letters and different things that they found that attest to the fact that they did have these kind of famines. And so, um, you know, the Bible just validates what we're doing with science. Amen? And that's how we approach that. So he's by the Nile River. The Nile. Now, this is the source of sustenance for the entire Egyptian nation at this time. So he's standing at the place of provision, and he's dreaming. And behold, there came up out of the river. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in Georgia, and sometimes we'd go play around in the cow pastures and remind ourselves not to get too close to the bulls. Amen. Uh, you want to stay clear clear from them and not wear any red ones to go out there and play that day for sure. Well, I remember crossing some of the branches in the creeks, and, and there'd be these paths where the cows would trot through, and it'd be gray mud up to your waist. I mean, if you got stuck in there, you're not getting out without help, that kind of thing. Well, cows... Uh, they like to stay in that portion of the river where, you know, they can escape from the sun. And so these cows, Pharaoh is standing on the bank of the Nile, and these cows are in the water. And here they're coming up out of the river, and they're the fattest cows you'd ever see. He says they're well-favored, right? Well-favored kind. And uh, fat-fleshed, that's the kind you want to sink your teeth into, right? You want to eat the whole cow. And they fed in the meadow. So these are... These are fat cows. And behold, seven other kinds, seven other cows, came up after them out of the river. Same source, right? But now these cows are not the kind. I mean, these are the cows that maybe folks would have lived on through the Depression, you know, trying to keep meat for a couple of weeks before it turns, those kind of things. You know, th these are cows that don't have a lot of meat on them. They're lean-fleshed. 
they're they're ill favored in his dream. And uh, and they stood by the other kind upon the brink of the river. The ill favored and lean fleshed kind, those cows, well they were so hungry they ate the other fat cows. <laughs> this is a dream. Right? You ever had some of those dreams? <laughs> Skinny cows eating the fat cows, that's what Pharaoh saw. And he slept. And so Pharaoh awoke. He's like, man, what did I eat the night before? I'm not sure. So then he goes to bed again, and he has a second dream. And he slept and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk, rank and good. I mean, these are fat ears of corn. Uh, like some of the corn I found on sale today. It was good. I bought some, seven, some ears of corn. Not the same kind of corn, mind you, because this is corn that you make bread out of, not not uh, cream corn, a different kind of different kind of stock, but this is some this is some good, it's it's rank and good, okay. And behold, seven thin ears blasted with the east wind. Now the east wind coming from this day would be full of that uh, that Arabian desert air or you know maybe you think of, of just being blasted. There's dry and uh, it would just take everything out in its way. There's nothing that would last. So the east wind, the thin ears, the east wind sprung up after them. The seven thin ears, now here's something, you know it's a dream now because you've got corn eating other corn. You know, cows eating other cows, I can understand that, but now the corn's hungry too. And the corn's going to, you know, eat the other corn. And so they devoured the seven rank and full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So this sets the tone for Joseph about to come out of prison. It's been two years since he interpreted a couple of dreams in that dungeon. And lo and behold, all this time, nothing's happened. He's been forgotten. Pharaoh has a dream, and now things are going to move. I want you to notice some things from our passage, really through the entirety of Genesis 41 tonight. And I won't read every single verse, like I said, but I just want to challenge you tonight to, to see how Joseph is being used of God and then to ask yourself, Lord, how can I be Joseph today? How can I... Uh, use your word in the same way, uh, in a similar way, I should say, because we're not going to be interpreting dreams and those kind of things. We have all of the revelation of God. I want to be clear on that. But we can use the revealed word of God to us today to help others who are in need of it. So notice first off tonight with me, if you would, that the world desperately needs the word of God. And this will encapsulate verse 1 all the way down to verse number 45. I want you to see in verses 1 through 7, the importance of God's revelation. Now, when I was studying through college, as I had to go back in my mind here singing the doxology, I remember taking some classes in college. One of those classes I took was called Bible Doctrines. And in Bible Doctrines, we really were ingrained with the, with the aspect of revelation. And we went through all the aspects. We went through general revelation. In creation, God reveals himself. Through the stars, the heavens, through the the, the Rocky Mountains, God's fingerprint is all around us through a beautiful sunset, however you want to think about it. You can see God in general revelation. But then there's also specific revelation where he specifically reveals himself to mankind, and that's through his word, through the scriptures. Now, in this day and time, uh, the scriptures have not, have not been culminated like they are now. We're in the first book of the Bible. Uh, if they have scripture, I would submit to you that probably some portions of Job are written down, if not the entirety of the book of Job. I would believe Joseph very well could have a record of that, that he could study and meditate on. But uh, Joseph's account is not going to be written sometime until sometime later when Moses comes on the scene. And uh, so everything that was given up to this point is going to be given by oral 
transmission all the way back to Adam. Now that's daunting to think about, but not really, because uh, if Abraham was a contemporary and could have lived at the same time as Shem, Shem being a son of Noah, then Shem talks to Noah, right? Shem talks to Abraham. He bridges the gap. So the oral transmission, you don't have to talk to 100 people, you just talk to two. From Shem, he talks to Noah. Noah talks to Methuselah. Methuselah talks to Lamech. Lamech talks to Seth, and Seth talks to his dad. And that's about as far back as you got to go. Seven generations, if you count them in the book, to be able to get back all the way to the garden to talk to somebody who was there that knew what happened. So, through the course of time in human history now, God has preserved his word. He's written it down. It's given by divine inspiration. Every word of this Bible is inspired by God and given to us so that we can have confidence that we can go talk to somebody who was there in the beginning. Amen. I love that. I don't have to guess about it. I know who was there. God was there. He gave me his word. I read the account of what happens in Joseph's life, and I don't have to question it. I can just take it, lock, stock, and barrel. It's the word of God. And so the world desperately needs the word of God. We've been reading down through verse number 7, and we see the importance of God's revelation. Think about how important the revelation of God is to Pharaoh at this juncture in time. Had God decided that he wasn't going to reveal himself to Pharaoh, Joseph would have remained rotting in that dungeon probably for the rest of his days. And Egypt, those days that Joseph would have lived, would probably have been shortened because Egypt would not have been prepared to carry the world through what was coming. Do you understand how important God's revelation is? Now, we think about that in our day and time. There's coming a day where something much worse than a famine is going to come on this world. And we've been told about it beforehand. And we've been given the revelation of God Almighty, just as they were in this day. Now, it didn't come through a dream. It came through the inspired scriptures. But I want you to see how important the Word of God is. Through the revelation of Pharaoh's dream. God is speaking to the world through this man. Why did he pick Pharaoh? Because he's in a position to be able to save the world from the famine. And so Pharaoh doesn't know, though. He has no idea that this is God's revelation to him. It will wind up being pinned forever on the words of, of Scripture, on the pages of Holy Scripture. So it is revelation, even in that extent. But Pharaoh has no idea what this is. To him, it's just dreams. Now, there's other records, uh, extra-biblical accounts of others that had, uh, that had dreams. Uh, kings would have dreams, and when a king would have a dream, it was very significant. When a king had two dreams, that was extremely significant. There was a story about another king somewhere that had two dreams, and the dreams told him not to build some kind of temple or something. So, I'm just telling you, in this day and time, there was a lot of weight that was put on these dreams. So, you can understand why Pharaoh is troubled can't figure this out. I'm standing on the river. Now, we know the end of the story, but let me challenge you. Pretend like you don't. Put yourself in Pharaoh's shoes. A river? Cows? Corn? I don't know. These lean cows are eating the fat cows. The, the thin stalks of corn are eating the, the fat stalks of corn, and, and I'm, on, I'm standing in the river. I don't even know what I'm doing there. It's a dream. And he's perplexed. Oh, I know what I'll do. You know, we've been working on these interpretation books. 
and he's got his magicians. They've got their little books that they can interpret dreams with, right? We talked about that before when Joseph was in prison, interpreting the, the butler and the baker's dreams. And so here he goes and he consults uh, the people who ought to know in his day. You know, this would be like heading over to, uh, heading over to, you know, maybe you head up to the Mayo Clinic or the Mayo Clinic, however you say it, and uh, you have something going on, you can't figure it out, and you go ask them and you say, Check all your all, all your research. You know, do your peer-reviewed stuff. Go go check every doctor you know. See if anybody has written about these particular symptoms. And they come back and say, "Sorry, we got nothing. We don't know." So Pharaoh's at his wit's end. He now the, the magicians are not the Mayo Clinic. Okay, that's don't take it to that extreme. I'm just giving you today's illustration of how that might fall out and how you'd feel about it. I don't know. I don't know where to turn. So Pharaoh seeks out his magicians, which, you know, these kind of magicians, they'll come up again in the scriptures. You'll see them when Moses is on the scene, which tells us a little bit of how God is moving. Now, let's connect the dots here, theologically. Let me, get, let me go a little theological with you here for a moment. Can I do that? Okay, so here you have probably the most prominent ruler of the world at this day and time. And God, in essence, is making sure that he becomes subservient to a Hebrew slave who has a relationship with him. Pharaoh's doing nothing apart from Joseph and God. You see that? Now let's fast forward. Moses is going to stand before Pharaoh one day. And God again will take a hard-hearted Pharaoh and make him subservient to his servant Moses because of Moses' relationship with God. Fast forward later on. Another Hebrew slave another day and time when God's people have been sent to bondage again in Babylon. You'll have a man named Daniel who will also be an interpreter of dreams. And God will take a Nebuchadnezzar and humble him under Daniel. Why? Because God is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he is sovereign over this world's affairs. And he was sovereign then and he is sovereign today. He sets nations up. He takes nations down. In everything that our leaders do, God has ways of bringing His people and those that He would use subservient to His sovereignty. Now, Joseph has free will. We don't negate that. Pharaoh has free will. He didn't have to seek out Joseph. But here, this is providence. God is moving and He's ordering circumstances to where Joseph's going to find his way out of this prison. And so we see the importance of the revelation because without the revelation world is doomed. Without God's word, friend, the world is doomed for judgment. Pharaoh dreams of cattle and he dreams of corn. He can't figure it out. Notice the intensity of the world's desperation. I'll read in verse number 8. It came to pass in the morning. His spirit was troubled. He sent and called for all the magicians, magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof. And Pharaoh told them his dream. Notice the desperation. There was None that can interpret them unto Pharaoh. None. Friend, you can pour this world over. You can search to the earth's end. And you will never find what the Word of God can give you deep down inside your heart. And there's a vacuum. There's a desperation that the world has. And it needs the revelation of God. It needs the Word of God. Just as in this day. So... Now we see how God intervenes. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, 
finally he pipes up. It's been two years. And he says, I do remember my faults this day. Now, why is he doing this? I would submit to you that it's not because he's really feeling sorry about forgetting Joseph. I think he's doing it out of self-service. He's there at Pharaoh's right hand, giving him his cup, and he says, Ooh, hey, I can get in good with Pharaoh here. I, nobody can figure this out. I remember now there was somebody that helped me. I remember my faults this day. And so he comes to Pharaoh, and he says, i got to tell you something. Hey. So I think he's trying to get some attention on himself there. But Pharaoh... He recounts the whole story. Hey, you remember that day you got mad at me? <laughs> Threw me in jail. Put me in the ward of the captain of the guard's house. Both me and the chief baker. You remember the baker? Yeah, he's gone now. He didn't make it, but I did. I'm still here. Well, let me tell you how that worked. We dreamed a dream in one night. I and he. The baker and the butler. We dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man in Hebrew. So Joseph would have been about uh, 28, according to my recollection. And we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. There was there with us a young man in Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard. So who's the captain of the guard, Potiphar? And we told him. And he interpreted to us our dreams. To each man, according to his dream, did he interpret. And it came to pass. As he interpreted to us, so it was. Watch the wording here. And he, who? Uh, Joseph. <laughs> Joseph restored me to my office, and Joseph hanged the baker. Joseph didn't do it. It wasn't Joseph. But the wording is interesting there. Isn't it? He, he put me back in my place, and he hung him. Uh, that's how the interpretation worked out. But he did it. He interpreted it, and it was right. So there's living proof. There's evidence right there that God's hand is on this man. And so Pharaoh's in a predicament. He's received the revelation of God, and he cannot decipher it. Paul said it like this. He said, The natural man receiveth not the things of God for their foolishness unto him. You see, the world is in desperate need for the revelation of God, for God's word. And yet... They can come to this book and they can grope through this book and, and how many have poured over this book and it's like and, and they feel like the Ethiopian eunuch on his way back down to Ethiopia after leaving Jerusalem. He's got a scroll of Isaiah in his hand and he's reading it and he's reading it and he's reading it. And he's a man who probably went to Jerusalem to worship God and to seek God, but he doesn't know God. And so his eyes are not illuminated to the truth of Scripture. And Philip, being led of the Holy Ghost, joins to his chariot and ask him a simple question. Understandest thou what thou readest? His words were, How can I, except a man guide me? So here Joseph is going to be Philip. To this Pharaoh, who like that eunuch, has his eyes, has scales over his eyes, and can't see what God's trying to tell him. And then God uses his, his messenger, uses his vessel, humble vessel Joseph is, Joseph comes and opens to him and expounds to him the word of God. Think about that in your life, friend. There are people where you work. There are people where you live. There are people that you go to school with. There are people that you're going to pass on the streets this week, and they've got scales on their eyes. Oh, they might have heard about Jesus before. They might know this thing called church because they're everywhere, right? Do they know? Can they see the truth of Scripture? 
How many have tried to darken the doors of churches and only to have been turned away because they were never explained the truth of the Scriptures? God help us. We entertain them in, we entertain them out. But do we help them connect with the truth that God has that will change their life and save their soul? The intensity of the world's desperation. So we see the importance of God's revelation. We see the intensity of the world's desperation. And then, secondly tonight, the people of God need to share the Word of God with the world. The world desperately needs the Word of God. The people of God need to share the Word of God with the world. Let's pick up our story of verse number 14. Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. Get him up here quick. So Joseph goes to all the riggers. You know, they shave him, they get him all cleaned up, they bring him before Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh says, hey, I heard uh, that you can do some stuff. I heard, uh, I heard about your reputation. Joseph, one of the things I want to point out to you here is Joseph's response to Pharaoh. You read it, and Joseph says, it wasn't me. I didn't do that. Joseph is quick to not take any credit for what happened two years previous when he was able, by God's help, to give the interpretation of the dreams of the butler and baker. What this shows us is that God makes divine appointments on our calendar. And here's a divine appointment for Joseph. He's been waiting two years for this divine appointment, but at the right time, Pharaoh had a dream, and now God has brought Pharaoh face-to-face with his servant Joseph. And Pharaoh is seeking the will of God and seeking an interpretation for the revelation of God that was given to him. And Joseph is quick to give glory to God and say, there's one person who can help you. There's only one person who knows the answer. And it's not me, Joseph says. It's God. God is the one that can give Pharaoh the answer. And that's good enough for Pharaoh. He says, all right, then I'm going to tell you my dreams. You see how that works, friend? You see, when we... When we are in a place to where we can witness to folks and share the word of God with them, we're always pointing them to Jesus, aren't we? Because it's not us. We, we can't save anybody. We understand that. And like Joseph, we get them to the feet of Jesus. And we say, look, I, I, can't, I can't solve all the problems in your life. I don't have all the answers. But I do know who can answer the greatest need for your soul. And that's Jesus Christ. The greatest need that Pharaoh has right now is to find God. And Joseph's going to take him right there. So see what's happening here. For Joseph, I just want to point this out, for Joseph to have enough backbone to stand up in an Egyptian court, the plethora of gods that they worship, Ra the sun god, crocodile gods, frog gods, fly gods, whatever god you want. And for him to stand in the middle of all the idolatry of Egypt and say there's only one. There's only one. We think we've gotten away from Egypt. But Egypt has infiltrated us. Everybody today is saying a similar thing. All roads lead to the same place. And the walls are coming down. And ecumenism is spreading, and everybody's trying to get to God their own way. And it's going to take boldness for a person to stand up and say, there's only one. The Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
the Bible says, No man cometh unto the Father but by him. There's no other way but through Jesus. So Joseph has courage and he has conviction to stand up in the midst of all these idols and all of the false worship and put them all down and say, God is the one and brings attention to him. The people of God need to share the word of God with the world. That'll come through the divine appointments that God gives you. Notice Joseph's confession of complete reliance on God. Notice how Joseph is skillful, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little liberty here and just alliterate it for you. As a preacher, we can do that. Joseph is skillful with the Scripture. You need to be skillful with the Scripture. Now, the Scripture in this account is Pharaoh's dream. The Scripture for us that we need to become well-versed with and able to handle is the revelation of God, 66 books right here, that can help you witness to others. And so this would be the equivalent of Pharaoh's dream. We can take people to the Bible and say, let me help you understand this. You've got to be skillful with the scriptures to be able to do that. Where does that start? It starts with discipleship. You find somebody you trust that knows the Lord, that loves the Lord, that wants to pour themselves into you. You sit down with them one-on-one with the Bible and you start learning the Bible. You come to church, to a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church anytime you can. You listen to good Bible-preaching on the radio. Good Bible preaching, I want to emphasize that because there's a lot of false teachers out there. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you let into your home via TV and radio. How many times will we turn you know, a cult away from our front door and then we'll turn the TV on and let them right in? Uh, different, different vein altogether. And so notice Joseph here and his skill to be able to interpret uh, Pharaoh's dream. And we need to be skillful with the scripture. I look at verse number 25. And we see Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. You had two dreams, but it's one message. God's sending you a message. And the fact, if you read Joseph's words, he goes on to say, the fact that you had two means that God said it, and it's not going to change. This is predetermined. God is sending this. There's no way around it. There's no way it will ever not happen. Yes, I use double negative in English because I'm working with Hebrew. Okay. Um, Yeah, this is going to happen. Two dreams, but it's one message. Joseph is able to help him understand. Notice his complete confidence in the revelation of God. He's already confessed his complete reliance on God. Notice his complete confidence in the revelation of God. Friend, the only authority you have when you're talking to others that need the Word of God is the Word of God. The only reason we can stand up and tell people that there's hope is because of the scriptures that testify of Jesus Christ, and that hope is the anchor of our soul. There's a place for psychology. There's a place for medicine. I'm not negating that. There are great men who have done great things. There are great women who have unlocked great mysteries. And we have such knowledge at our disposal today, and I was prophesied by Daniel, by the way, that we would increase in knowledge in the latter days. And we sure are. I mean, you've got a world of knowledge. Just ask Google, but they'll only tell you the knowledge you want to know. But the knowledge they want you to know, I should clarify that. But you can search anything, you can look anything up right there. And we've increased in knowledge, and yet we've drifted further and further from God. And as Joseph stands before Pharaoh, he is absolutely confident 
that what he's saying is God's revealed word. We live in a day and time where God's word has been questioned left and right. But I'm here to tell you tonight, you can take this book and you can stand on it. You can stand on the promises of the word of God. We have the Bible. We don't have to go looking for the Bible. We don't have to dig it out of the basement of the Vatican. We don't have to go find it in Alexandria, Egypt. We don't have to, we don't have to pour over uh, fake documents from Sinaiticus. We don't have to go after all these false things. We can just take our Bible and help others see the truth of what's here. Do you see the confidence that you need to have in the Scriptures if you're going to handle them skillfully? You need to know this book. You need to know the revelation of God to be able to expound that to others complete confidence in the revelation of God. And then notice his wise counsel from the scriptures. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. He says, seven cows, seven years. Fat cows, seven years of plenty. Thin cows, seven years of famine. Gives the interpretation. It's clear. Uh, it's, it's understood by Pharaoh. The same thing with the corn. The fat corn, seven years of plenty. The lean corn, seven years of famine. It's coming, and it's not changing. It's part of God's plan, and He's told you before so that you can know. You can be prepared, Pharaoh. So then, based off the, the interpretation, based off of the Scriptures, He's able then to offer sound, wise counsel to Pharaoh and say, if you're smart, you're going to store up in the years of plenty to stave off and help feed people when they're hungry in the seven years of famine. You need to look for somebody that's wise enough to oversee all of this, Pharaoh. It's bigger than you. But if you'll do this, then this is the answer. You see the counsel he's able to give. So Joseph is able to take the word of God, skillfully use that, and then give wise counsel to Pharaoh to help him in the upcoming predicament. Wise counsel and guidance from Scripture. So, again, the people of God need to share the Word of God with the whole world. We are going to be given divine appointments to do that. And when those divine appointments come, we must be skillful with the Scripture, completely confident that we have the Word of God, and able to give wise counsel through the Scriptures to others. When we'll live that way, I believe God will reward our faithfulness. Now, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to muddy the waters here, because there are those today that preach a health and wealth gospel and prosperity gospel and you know they say if you rub the little lamp then, then all of this will happen and you'll get a bunch of money and, and your life will be okay and all of that hogwash fooey you might get a lot of stuff you might not okay that's not guaranteed in scripture what is guaranteed is that one day God will reward those who are faithful in a little and they will be made rulers over much whether that happens before the rapture or after, that's up to God. And He has a plan for each individual. And so don't mis misunderstand what I'm saying tonight. But you mark it down. God will reward your faithfulness to share His Word. Now this is given as an illustration of that right here because immediately Pharaoh says, I don't have to look anywhere else. You're the man. You said I need to find somebody wise. I found him. It's Joseph. And the transformation happens overnight. No more back to the prison for Joseph. No, he is going to be wearing silk. He's going to be wearing royal apparel. And he's elevated 
to vice president under Pharaoh, second in command under Pharaoh over all Egypt. So that means he's got the seal of Pharaoh on his hand. And if he goes somewhere and finds somebody that's not doing something right, he can have them locked up just like that. And when he goes and sets up granaries to be able to haul all this grain in and store it up, they were collecting this stuff left and right. And there's actually irrigation work that they've unearthed that would speak to this time frame, that they they expanded the reach of the Nile through irrigation under Joseph. I believe they did this so that they could harvest more and they could expand their field and have more growth and just grain after grain. They would gather this stuff in hand over fist, so much so the Bible says Joseph couldn't even count it all. And they just raked it in and raked it in and raked it in for seven years. They lived on what they needed. And they just saved and saved and saved. Manager Peace University, just put a plug in there for that. Live like no one else now, and you can give like no one else later. Thank you, Dave Ramsey. Wonder where he gets the idea from. Gee, I don't know. I guess it's in the Bible. That's good advice. Preparing for the want. Wise counsel. So, Joseph's faithfulness is rewarded as we see his ascension into second in command of Pharaoh. This is exciting. Hey, the world desperately needs the Word of God. It's important that the world understand that they need the Word of God, and, and it's an intense, desperate need they have for it. The people of God, which is you and I today, who've been given, given the Scriptures to be able to carry those on and give the Word of God out, we need to share that. If we don't share it, we put our light under a bushel. We need to share that with the world. Uh, absolutely confident in the Scriptures, completely reliant on God in our witnessing, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, giving wise counsel, skillful with the Scriptures, trusting that one day Jesus will reward those that give their life and put their hand to the plow and not look back. That one day we'll stand before Him and He'll say those words, Well done, a good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of my rest. Thirdly, and I'll close with this, this last point, to be forewarned of judgment is to be forearmed to be forgiven. To be forewarned of judgment is to be forearmed to be forgiven. There is a way to escape the coming judgment, and it's through forgiveness of sins and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way out today from the great judgment that's to come on the world. God judged the world in Noah's day with a flood. And he promised he'd never flood the world again. But one day there's coming a day of God's wrath when his fire will fall and it will be fire and brimstone and this whole world will be judged. And we're headed for it rapidly and, and faster and faster each day. I believe we're seeing the world ripen to that point where God's going to judge it. It could be any moment. Are you ready? The only way to be ready is to be forewarned. We've been forewarned. Oh, that's just an old fuddy-duddy antiquated book. That's just an old book. Oh, is it? Forever. Thy word. For Thy word forever is settled in heaven. The psalmist said, Heaven and earth shall pass. My word shall not pass. One, every jot, every tittle. But we hold on to this because this, this will stand when everything else will fall. And Jesus said, If you're wise, you'll build your life on what he said. And if you're a fool, you won't. 
and the storms will come, and it will destroy your house, and great will be the fall thereof. To be forewarned of judgment is to be forearmed to be forgiven. Notice the foresight that's given to the Pharaoh uh, to Pharaoh of the famine that's to come. Look at verse number 46, if you would. Joseph was 30 years old. So how old was he when he was in prison? He was 28. Here he's 30 years old. When he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, went throughout all the land of Egypt. The seven plenteous years the earth brought forth by the handfuls, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid the food uh, in the cities, laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which was round about every city, laid he up the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons. Now watch. Foresight of the famine. Wisely planning ahead is a basic principle of practical living. As quoted from the Bible Knowledge Commentary, Alan Ross said that, and that's a good statement. Wisely planning ahead is, base, is a basic principle for practical living. Notice the insight of faith that Joseph has. Talking about the forewarning, to be forearmed, to be forgiven. Joseph has an insight of faith. Faith In verse number 50, Joseph has two sons because he was given Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. And so he's able, this, this was interesting to me because, you know, you think of Potiphar. We talked about him possibly being a eunuch. Those that are closest to the king in this day are usually, if they're, if they're an officer of that extent, uh, Pharaoh is going to feel threatened by them. So why wasn't Joseph made a eunuch? Why was he given a wife? I don't know, but it was by God's providence because he's going to have two sons, and these two sons are going to become two tribes. Well, a half-tribe, a tribe and a half-tribe from, from, uh, from his legacy here. And Joseph, look at this, he called the name, verse 51, of the firstborn Manasseh. The interpretation is given to you in your Bible right here. What does Manasseh mean in Hebrew? It means Manasseh. <laughs> what does Manasseh mean? Manasseh. <laughs> what does that mean? Okay, it means, For God, said he, hath made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. Manasseh simply means to forget. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful. Do you see God in both of those? God did it. God did it. God caused me to forget those things which are behind. I press forth the mark of the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God caused me to be fruitful in a foreign land. I'm just a pilgrim passing through. I came into this world with nothing. And I look now as a, as a servant of God, and I'm humbled to see how God has blessed our church and blessed the faith of His people to follow Him. And, and where there was nothing, now God has blessed, and His work goes forward. And that's humbling to me. Joseph says, I've forgotten all the toil. All that, all that nasty stuff, all that, that darkness is gone. God's caused me to forget that. And he's also made me fruitful. Forgetting and fruitfulness. That's the insight of faith in Joseph. He believes God's going to use him to do something great. Joseph has not forgotten. He had two dreams. He interpreted two, he had two imprisonments. He interpreted two dreams. 
And also, Pharaoh had two dreams, all the way back to the very beginning. Remember those first dreams? I don't know. Joseph probably doesn't see it this way, but can you imagine him just looking over the horizon, just waiting, looking for that caravan to come? they got to come sometime. Everybody else in the world is starving. Surely they're not going to stay there and die. Where are they? They've got to come. All the way back to that dream, when his dad would come and bow down before him. His brothers would come, the sheep's bowing, the sun, moon, and stars bowing. Wow. Joseph never lost sight of God. Through the good days and the bad, success brought Joseph closer to God. Dungeon darkness brought Joseph closer to God. He was a man to be admired in so many ways. Manasseh and Ephraim. And so to be forewarned of judgment is to be forearmed to be forgiven. There was a foresight of famine. There was an insight of faith. And then we look here at the last verses, the prosperity in the midst of poverty. Verse 53, really you should carry this through chapter 42 and verse probably five, four or five, somewhere around there. But if you look at verse 53, the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. There comes an end. And the seven years of dearth began to come. According as Joseph said, just like he said it would happen, now it's happening. And the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, we'll talk to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. Mark that phrase. Underline that phrase, would you? Put a circle around that. Does that sound like anything else you've heard in the Bible? Maybe in John chapter number 2, when there was also a problem, and they ran out of wine at the wedding, and Mary went to Jesus and said, we've got trouble. And then she turns around and says to the servants, whatsoever he saith to you, do. Those are good words. Now you have Pharaoh here. In this story, saying whatever Joseph says, you need to do that. That is pointing to Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of it all. Whatever he said. Why? Because one day he's going to come and he's going to give his life on Calvary. And he died for the sins of the world. Whatsoever he saith to you, do. As Paul said when he encountered the Lord on the road to Damascus, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? We need to come to that place where we're ready and willing there's prosperity in the midst of poverty when you look ahead. You see, even though this world is headed for judgment, those that come to God by faith through Jesus Christ will find prosperity in the midst of all that judgment. They'll be spared from it. And we can be saved from it. Even while the world is writhing in a judgment of sin and unbelief and the devil is being judged and the Antichrist and the false prophet and the beast, all of them are cast in the lake of fire, and this old world is judged and made new. We're going to be safe with Jesus. And He's going to come and rule and reign for a thousand years, and it's going to be prosperity right on the heels of the Great Tribulation. The world's got to go through that famine, so to speak, before it will ever find the blessing of God. And as we look at this, prosperity in the midst of poverty, what's God doing? I want you to notice there's a God who's overseeing it all. There's a Joseph who's willing to just take the words of God and say, let me show you the way. And there's a Pharaoh who could be lifted up in pride 
but humbles himself and acknowledges the revelation of God and says, he's got the answer. Where are you today? Are you in Joseph's shoes or are you in Pharaoh's shoes? If you're in Pharaoh's shoes, I invite you and encourage you and admonish you, look to God because he has the answer. Are you in Joseph's shoes? Then take this revelation and go lead somebody to Jesus that needs the word of God. And all the time, trusting that God is sovereign and his program will be carried out to the ends of the earth.